You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, We're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 5, if you would turn there, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we will stand in honor of the reading of the Scripture once you found it. Matthew chapter 5, I was a little worried, Brother Spencer was saying that he he just finished his series in Matthew, but I figured, you know, Matthew 5 was probably about eight years ago that he was in Matthew 5, so I think think I'll be safe this morning. I was in junior high when he was in Matthew 5, so no, not really. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. He's not going to take me to Milky Way this afternoon. Oh, whatever I need to do to make up for that comment, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read uh, verses 1 through 6. Again, reading of verse 1, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set... His disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's read that verse together, verse 6. Together, ready, begin. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the word. I'm thankful for the power it possesses. And I pray that you'd bless the reading of it, help our hearts to be open to it. I pray that your seed would find soil that is ready to receive it this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's eternal, condition is not known, Lord, if they're not sure, I pray that you would help them, draw them to yourself this morning through the Word, and I pray that you would use this day uh, to bring men and women here uh, to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to preach on, on a subject this morning that is a cruel and unusual thing to preach on on a Sunday morning at about 11 o'clock. And that is, I'm going to preach about food. There's, is there any hour of the week where your stomach is more tempted to growl than this one? Well, I'm preaching about being hungry and being thirsty. It's no fun to be hungry. How many would you, of you in here would you consider yourself a foodie? And by that, if you're a foodie, that means you eat to live, not live to eat. Or sorry, live to eat, not eat to live. I got it backwards there. Um, we were, I was downtown our, at our hotel and just smelling all the restaurants and walking around and thinking I could eat there and I could eat there and I'd like to eat there. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to choose where you eat. If you say you don't enjoy eating, you're either lying or you're not normal as a human being. You know, babies, I, I love to watch babies get ready to eat. You've probably done this before. It's just so fun to watch how passionately they're ready for that next bite of whatever mush their mother is giving them. They sit in their high chair and they just bounce and they just can't contain it. My wife, when she was little, um, her mom would get down to the end of the bowl of food and when my wife would hear the spoon scrape on the glass bowl, she would start crying because she knew the meal was almost over. 
Being hungry is miserable. Some of life's worst, worst decisions I've ever made were when I was hungry. I remember in college, which, you know, you spend four years being hungry because you don't have any money, and the cafeteria food's not wonderful. But I remember going to the store when I was hungry as a college student, the first lesson, first time I learned this lesson, I went to the store, and I was so hungry, and, and I came home with cans of tuna and rice cakes because they sounded good at the store. I have no idea why, but, you know, you learn those lessons when you're really hungry. Um, you know, you make bad decisions. Being hungry is miserable. I, I mean, I've heard my, my wife, when she was pregnant, she would have pregnancy cravings, and you've probably heard of pregnancy cravings. I've I've heard of uh, ladies that would eat, that were so hungry or chalk sounded good, they would eat chalk. That's strange, isn't it? Some crave, sometimes you're so hungry you crave weird things. You know, hunger can do strange things to people, and I laugh about it or I make light of it this morning, um, but there's a real kind of hunger out in the world, isn't there? And we as Americans don't probably fully understand the extent of what true hunger is. Because there aren't many times or many Americans that, that go hungry, don't, that don't have food on the table. If, if you were raised in a different country or, um, or you were in, in, a, in a position in your life at some point where you didn't have food in the pantry, you know what it's like to be hungry. And Jesus Christ is using an illustration with the people here on the Sermon on the Mount about hunger because he knows they can relate to it. It's a little different in their day. That audience could understand him. You know, Matthew 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and if you want to get a foundational idea of what it's like to be a follower of Christ, you would read Matthew 5 through 7. You know, Jesus Christ is trying to get his followers to understand God isn't necessarily as interested in what you do as he is in what you are. And Matthew 5 through 7 lays that foundation. If you are right, you will do right. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus Christ compares a person's hunger and thirst to his disciples' desire for righteousness. See, hunger and thirst are examples we can all relate to, but in this culture, you had to think that they could relate to it just a little bit more. Now, I think, I think about how, you know, we go to the store, we go to Walmart, we buy something that's already made. In this culture, they had to do it with their hands. If they wanted water, they didn't walk over to a faucet and turn the faucet on. They had to go to a well and draw water and bring it back to their home to have water. They knew what it was like to be hungry. They knew what it was like to be thirsty. They knew what it was like to have to work just to get food or to go get a drink. And Jesus Christ is saying, you know what it's like to be hungry. You know what it's like to be thirsty. You should desire God as strongly as you desire food and drink. If you follow Christ, you're supposed to strongly desire the things of God of God. You know, hunger and thirst, that's how, that's how much you should desire a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christ uses the word righteousness, and righteousness is that which is right. So followers of Christ should have a strong desire for God and His righteousness. The verse is simple. It says, if we, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be filled with righteousness. If you have a desire for God's righteousness, if you seek it, if you want it, if it's a strong desire, He will fill you with His righteousness. And as a result of being filled with the things of God, the first word in the verse is blessed. And that word means happy. It means fulfilled. Here's what it comes down to. Your desire for God 
is directly linked to your happiness. Your desire for God is directly linked to your happiness. You want to be happy? You want to be fulfilled? Well, how strong is your desire for God? How much do you seek Him? As His child, your desire for God should be as consistent and strong as your desire for food and drink. Just consider it over the last 365 days. How many days in the last year did you eat? Out of the last 365 days, how many days did you drink? I would say that most of us would say the vast majority of the days we ate or we drank, probably most of them. But if you're a disciple, you're supposed, to ju- you're supposed to just as consistently seek after God and the things of God as you do food and drink. There are restaurants all over Sioux Falls, aren't there? Every corner you turn is a restaurant. There's a restaurant here, a restaurant here, and the smells are wafting through the city because people want to eat. People want to try something new. Uh, there are a lot fewer churches in Sioux Falls than there are restaurants. But it shows you that our desire for food and drink is really much elevated over our desire for the things of God. Out of the last 30 days then, if we're following the parallel, how many days did you spiritually eat or drink? I mean, how many days did you personally long for God enough to spend time seeking Him through personal reading and prayer? How many days were you in His house, or did you find excuses not to come? If you're physically with this, if you physically eat, with the same consistency that you spiritually eat, how healthy would you be? See, when Christ says hunger and thirst, he's not talking about an occasional desire for the things of God. He uses hunger and thirst because those are consistent, daily, strong desires. And that's how consistently and strong your desire for God should be. When's the last time you saw people clamor for God's word like kids at school race to the lunch line? You've seen that before, right? It's like a stampede of hungry children, and they'll fight over each other, and they'll fall over each other to get to the front of the food line. But it seems like sometimes in church, everyone's racing to the back. <laughs> you know, or if, you, if you get a new restaurant, if, you're, if Sioux Falls is anything like Stillwater, if you get a new restaurant, it seems like you can't eat there for the first two months because the drive through line is full and people are standing out the door And it could just be another Taco Bell, but it's new. So somehow, maybe magically, the food will taste better at this one. I don't know. If you work at Taco Bell, I'm very sorry for that comment. But you know, people don't clamor for God's Word like they do for food. They don't clamor for God's Word like they do at at a new restaurant. But if you follow Christ, it should be natural for you as a disciple to as passionately pursue God as you do your physical appetites. I love the way Jesus uses the example of hunger and thirst because we can all relate to it. And this morning, I'd like to give three very simple observations about hunger and thirst that I think will help us evaluate our own desire for God. And if we're wise enough to apply them, I think they'll be a help to us. And the first that I want to notice here, and really the most significant, is that hunger and thirst are the result of being empty. Hunger and thirst are the result of being empty. Think about it physically. We get hungry because our stomach is empty. They say that you can go about 40 days without food and survive, but hunger pangs can begin just hours after you haven't eaten. I mean, really, it can, my kids, I mean, we can eat, and an hour later they're asking when we're going to eat again. I don't understand how they can be hungry so quickly after we've already eaten. 
It doesn't take long for your stomach to tell you, does it, that it's hungry, that it needs something. You know, we're thirsty because we have a lack of of nutritious fluid in our bodies. They say a person can survive about 100 hours without something to drink. That's about four days. If it's hot, it'd be a lot less than that. But in both cases, hunger and thirst result from something missing, don't they? If I'm hungry or if I'm thirsty, it's because there's something empty. It's a response to emptiness. And spiritually speaking, the same is true. It is emptiness that makes a person hungry or thirsty. See, God created us to find our ultimate satisfaction in relationship with Him. But listen, Christians are chasing all the wrong things, aren't they? Christians are chasing money, and they think that having more will satisfy, or they're trying to get a bigger house or a nicer vehicle, or they're chasing pleasure and, their, and vacations and trips and toys and a career advancement or more money in retirement. But none of it comes close to fulfilling you as a Christian that Jesus, like Jesus Christ can. So there's an emptiness without Christ in our lives. And if He's not there, we feel empty. And that creates hunger. It creates thirst. And that's why people come to Christ in salvation. Because they've searched everywhere else and they haven't found satisfaction. They've, they've tried it at here and they've tried it at the bar and they They've tried it at the social club, and they haven't been able to find Christ, and that emptiness creates a hunger. It creates a thirst for Him. Sin promises everything, but it never delivers, does it? Jesus calls Himself the bread of life. He calls Himself the living water. He uses those references because He can satisfy the human heart and make it personal this morning. He can satisfy your human heart like the right food or water can in the right situation. There's nothing quite like being hungry and something just hitting the spot, isn't it? I mean, just for me, it's steak. Okay, and if you have any steak eaters in here, by the way, on on Friday night I had Chislik for the first time, and it's eating steak with a toothpick, which I would eat steak with my hand, so it's fine. I mean, <laughs> but it's like when you have something to eat that really hits the spot. There are a few things more disappointing than going to eat and having it not hit the spot. You know, and that's, that's what the world is doing because they have emptiness and they seek it in places that will never satisfy. There's nothing quite like Jesus Christ. You know, being empty drives people to salvation, but as followers of Christ, there's another kind of emptiness mentioned here. And this one's actually kind of positive. See, notice a progression in verses 3 through 5. Christ begins the Sermon on the Mount talking about emptying our lives of self. And he starts in verse 3 by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So to be poor in spirit means a person has an inward sense of their helplessness, of their inability. And it's talking about humility. And the idea here is that we see ourselves for who we are compared to God. And just two weeks ago, on our way to California, we stopped at the Grand Canyon, and I stood at the edge of the Grand Grand Canyon, and you know, when I was standing there, I did not feel very tall. I'm not very tall anyway, but standing at the Grand Canyon can make the tallest of us feel small. See, that's how it is when we have a proper perspective of God in our lives. See, standing next to God, we we don't feel very tall. We're not tall. We're small. 
And that's what blessed in the poor, are the poor in spirit means. Jesus Christ says, as a follower of me, the most important thing you can do is have a perspective of yourself compared to God the Father. Because when you finally really get a view of Him for who He truly is, you are, you're humble. You're small. You have a sense of who you are and your helplessness. And then in verse 4, Christ says, blessed are they that mourn. And this is referring to our response to sin, meaning when we sin, we should recognize that our sin offends God, and we should mourn over that offense. We should be contrite. We should be sorry. Instead of making our sin about us, we empty our sin, ourselves of any pride, and we mourn over the effects of sin. You've probably felt that before as well as a Christian. When you sin before God, when you have offended God, you have a mourning in your heart because you know that you've offended your Father. Well, once again, do you see that Jesus Christ is telling His disciples, first, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then second, blessed are they that mourn. He's, he's telling the disciple, He's telling the follower, you've got to be rid of yourself. You have to empty yourself of yourself. So He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn. And then in verse 5, look, the Lord says, Blessed are the meek. The meek, meekness is not weakness. It means someone strong has chosen to be gentle. They've chosen to control their power instead of exercising it. See, compared to God, we're nothing. So meekness means I must submit my will to God. And what I want you to pay attention to is that all three of these first beatitudes present the idea of emptying ourselves before God. We're poor in spirit, we're mourning over our sin. We are meek. We are bankrupt. I have nothing. I need God. I'm mourning over my sin. I'm meek. I'm submitting my will to God's way in my life. I'm emptying myself. I'm emptying myself. And the first thing Christ teaches is his sermon is be empty of yourself. If you want to follow me, you have to say no to yourself. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek. He's teaching them that the life of Christ, of Christ's follower is not to be about yourself. So empty your life of yourself. And once you have the right perspective, disciple, when you're finally empty, verse 6 comes in. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, in the same way that hunger and thirst happen in response to being empty of food or drink, hunger and thirst for God are the result of being empty of self and sin and self-will. The reason some in this room aren't hungry or thirsty for God is because they're full of their self. And I'll make it personal. The reason that you this morning aren't hungry or don't have a strong desire or a strong appetite for God is because you're full of self. You can't be a Christ's follower. You can't pursue the righteousness that follows until you're empty of yourself. We're good at being the center of our own worlds, aren't we? We're good at living for ourselves. We're good at controlling our own destiny, and we meet the demand of our desires, and we are in control, but then we wonder why we don't have an appetite for God. So you can't be hungry and thirsty for God until you're empty of self. It's hard to eat when you're already full, isn't it? As much as you want to keep eating, and I don't know if Sioux Falls has a Brazilian steakhouse, but it's one of those places, I knew I'd get an amen right there, but it's one of those places that you turn the card over, if it's green, they keep bringing you the food, right? If you turn it over and it's red, it means stop. And if you're a man, you don't sit there with the card red. It stays green. 
But at some point along the way, you will die if you keep eating Brazilian steak. So turn the car, card to green and it keeps coming. But I've eaten at a Brazilian steakhouse the first time I made a mistake. Because they have a salad bar at the Brazilian steakhouse. That's the best looking salad bar I've ever seen in my life. And I just ran around the salad bar piling it on my plate thinking this is going to satisfy the longing in my soul. I'll have plenty of room for steak later. So I filled it up and I ate all the salad. I went back for seconds and then they started bringing the meat. And after about four pieces of meat, I thought, I have made a great mistake. Father, forgive me. This is a terrible mistake because I filled up on the salad bar and I didn't have room for the other. It was because I wasn't empty, I couldn't eat all I wanted to. And the reason that some of you aren't being satisfied and you're not content, you're not fulfilled in your life is first because Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy, but second, you're full of everything else in your life and there's no room for Him to come in. Listen, you can't eat if you're already full. And you come to church on Sunday and you wonder why you can't get anything out of it because you're not empty of self. I'm just telling you this morning, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, then you have to understand that being a follower means, uh, being hungry and thirsty for God means it has to come as a result of being empty of yourself. And for some of us in here this morning, that's the first step we need to take. Salvation is the same. And I don't know your spiritual condition, but listen, there's no room for Jesus Christ in your life unless you are willing to be empty of all the ideas that you've ever had about getting to heaven, about the sin in your life. You have to be willing to lay it all aside and let Jesus Christ save your soul. There's no other way to spend eternity in heaven. There's no room for Christ if you're not empty. You have to be willing to lay it aside to let Him come in. And listen, He can fill you this morning. He wants to. He's come today, he's meeting with us here today, and he's searching for sinners who are full of all the junk that's built up in their lives, like hoarders, and their garage is full, and their rooms are full, and he wants to come and clean it all out and take up residence in your life. And he will today, if you'd let him. So first, and the most significant, is that being hunger and thirst are the result of being empty. But second this morning, hunger and thirst are repeating essentials. Not normally um, very good at, uh, at outlining things this way, but this came together, and repeating means continuous. Hunger and thirst repeat every day. They're renewed multiple times a day. See, as long as we're alive and we're healthy, we'll be hungry and thirsties. thirsty. They're essentials. If you're hungry, if you're, I mean, to be hungry and thirsty happens over and over. It's not, an essential is not optional. You know, food and water are essentials. You can't decide you're just not an eater. So I'm not going to eat. You can't decide that you just don't drink water. You, you have to have it every day. They're not optional. The verse says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. And that Greek word do is a present participle, and it's saying the ones who are hungering or the ones who are thirsting. It's continual. It's perpetual. It's always hungry. It's always thirsty. See, when we come to Jesus Christ, we're hungry and thirsty for His righteousness. We want God and His righteousness. But in getting a taste of it, you want more of it. 
You don't come and just get a taste of God's spiritual blessings and say, well, that's good enough for me to last the rest of my life. If you've ever really experienced it, it's not enough. You want more of it. And that's what it means, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You could say it this way, the more you get, the more you want. In most cases, it's a bad thing, but not with Jesus Christ. I think about Moses begging God to see more of his glory. And I think about David, a man after God's own heart who walked with God, saying, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul longeth for thee. My, I mean, he said, as a heart panteth. That's how I, much I want my God. I think about Paul. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, but in Philippians 3, he said, I want more than I've ever had before. You can't get enough of God. It's like saying, I ate a lot tonight, and it was really good, and I will never have to eat again. Now listen, that's the, that's the righteousness of God. Once you get a taste of it, Christian, it's not enough. You realize this is the best life I could live. You get a taste of it and you think, I want more of this. This, is not, this isn't enough. See, is your hunger and thirst for a relationship with God continuous or is it sporadic? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Happy are the ones who stay hungry and thirsty for God. It's true in physical hunger and thirst. If we didn't know we needed more food or water, we would die. But our bodies tell us we need it. If there's not a desire to eat or drink again, there's something wrong with your health, isn't there? But if you don't have a strong desire for God, there's something wrong spiritually. The continuous hunger and thirst are what keep you seeking after God. So hunger and thirst uh, are the result of being empty. They're repeating essentials. And third, hunger and thirst means you reach for everything. My daughter, Lacey, she's in junior church this morning. On her second birthday, her first ba- birthday, you know how it is with, with your kids. You give them a cake, and they just plow into it, and they get it everywhere. But when they're one year old, you're not really sure how aware they are of what's happening. Now, they know they like it, but I'm not sure how much it's really clicking. But on a second birthday, that's where the light bulb comes on. And I remember our daughter, Lacey, on her second birthday, there's a cake in front of her, and, and she takes a big, she, first of all, she's a little bit nervous, because usually when they reach out and grab something, they get, they get in trouble for it. They're not just supposed to grab. But in this case, on a birthday, right, they can do whatever they want with that piece of cake in front of them. So Lacey reaches out, and she grabs two handfuls, and she shoves both of them in her mouth. It's all over her face. And then the light bulb comes on, and she looks at us and says, Happy birthday. <laughs> like, now I know what everyone's talking about. Dirt days are good. You know, that's what happens in a Christian when you get a taste of righteousness. Because you get a little taste of it and you think, well, this is good enough for me. Some people do that. They say, well, I'm content right here, but when you get a real taste of it, you want all of it. See, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and that doesn't mean, it implies all righteousness. 
It implies everything that's out there. You want all of it. It wouldn't be that impressive for somebody to say, well, happy is the hungry and thirsty man who gets one bite of a supper and a tiny sip of water. That's not what Jesus Christ is talking about here. That would make a hungry and thirsty man happy. In other words, if I'm going to bring it down to our level this morning, a Christian doesn't just want one, one, one slice of the pizza. He wants the whole thing. And listen, in the Christian life, there's a lot available to you. God has made a world of righteousness available, a world of satisfaction, a world of contentment, and all the fulfillment you ever dreamed about, He's made it available to you, and yet a lot of Christians say, yeah, this is all that's available, but I'll take this little slice right here. And they say, this little 10%, I know 100% is out there, but 10% is better than what everybody else is doing. And they drive down the streets, and they see what the rest of the world has, and they say, My 10% of righteousness, of Christianity, it's better than the rest of the world, so I'll just take this and be content. And they leave 90% that they never touch. But the condition, listen, the condition of being blessed or, or to be happy or fulfilled is not to be hungry and thirsty for some of it. Blessedness, you want to be happy, You want to be content? You want to be satisfied? It's only available for the follower with a strong desire for all that God has to offer. So don't settle for less than what's available to you as a Christian. I mean, so many people just settle for the bare minimum. But Jesus Christ said in John 10, 10, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ doesn't intend for you to have 10%. He made available an abundant overflowing life. It's not God's desire for you to barely get by as a Christian. He doesn't want to just watch you struggle and eat by your whole life. He doesn't want you just to be alive. He wants you to be overflowing with abundant life. And yet so many say, I know that's all available, but I'm settling here. It's all available. Listen, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You can be saved for 50 years or five months, and God has made all of His righteousness available to you. He wants you to have it. You don't have to reach some qualification. You don't have to have some experience. You don't have have to have a Bible college diploma. If you will seek after God with all your heart, He will fill you with righteousness, and the result is you can be satisfied and happy and content in your life, just like somebody who's been saved for 50 years. Every child in this building can be happy if they'll follow God in His righteousness with all their heart. He wants to fill you with all of it. So why squeak by? Why be satisfied with 10%? David wrote in Psalm 107, For he, God, satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 34, 10 reads, they, they, seek the, they that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then later he says, What about his cup? His cup runneth over. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. John 6 says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That's the life God promises you this morning. If you stay hungry for his righteousness, he won't just give you some. He will fill your cup with it. 
The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is about God's righteousness, full of examples of how God wants to change us from the inside out. It's an example of His righteousness, example of His righteousness. If you have a strong desire for God's righteousness, He'll make sure you're filled. God never disappoints those who come truly longing for Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Listen, if you're truly hungry, you don't come to God half-hearted. If you come seeking him with all your heart, he will be found. And I'm thankful for that. There's a restaurant, and I'm not sure really what to call it. They recently changed their name, and everyone was scratching their head about it. It's a place called IHOP. Now it's IHOB. Because they went from International House of Pancakes to an International House of Burgers, I think. All I know is I don't have a desire to eat there again. There's a lot of burger places out there. They should have just stuck to what they were doing. But they did have a good slogan at one point. And I've never been completely fulfilled after eating at IHOP, but their slogan was, come hungry, leave happy. I'm not sure how true that is about IHOP, but listen, I can guarantee you it's true about God. If you come hungry you can leave happy. So how does your appetite for God compare to other things you seek in life? What are you chasing? Ask yourself, what are you chasing? What am I pursuing? What do I think if I catch it, it will make me happy? Is it money? Is it that new or better job? Is it that career advancement? Is it that relationship? Teenagers, is it that popularity that you're seeking? Listen, nothing will fill that hole, that emptiness in your life except for Jesus Christ. In salvation, we're seeking the pleasures of sin to fill you. Maybe you're seeking the pleasures of sin. And you think that's going to fill you, but it's just going to leave you empty. There's no one that can rid your life of your sin except for Jesus Christ. He died on a cross to make that happen. And all you have to do is receive it. Christian, if you don't have an appetite for spiritual things or you're bored with the preaching, you don't look forward to reading your Bible, you don't look forward to coming to church, maybe it's because life is full of junk food and there's no room for the healthy stuff. If you desire to change how you feel, you have to choose to change what you eat. Isn't that correct? If you've ever been on a diet before, it doesn't just happen. You have to at one point, at one day, make a decision And I know it's a terrible, hard decision, but sometimes you just have to make the choice, don't you? You say, no, this is the starting off point. I have to decide today that I'm going to change what I'm eating so that I'll feel better and in the long run be healthier. But a lot of people, a lot of Christians, never come to that point in their spiritual life. They never come to the point of decision where they say, no, I'm done with this. I have to fill my life with this because this is going to hurt me. Maybe you're not hungry for God. Maybe you should be empty of yourself. Maybe that's where it needs to start for you today. Maybe there are things in your life that you need to unpack so that Jesus Christ has room to come in. If you're not hungry for God, it could be you need to see your relationship with Him as something that is continual and it's essential and you have to pour yourself into that walk with the Lord. Maybe if you're not hungry for God, 
that you need to reach for everything. You've been satisfied with a small part and not the whole thing. You know, when you're hungry, it's hard to think about anything else, isn't it? Probably I've created that in this room this morning. <laughs> Keep talking about food and everyone's trying to concentrate and they can't. I heard someone say a truly hungry man doesn't want food and a new suit of clothes. A truly thirsty man doesn't want water and a new watch. He wants, a food, he wants food and water, period. If we're spiritually hungry and thirsty for righteousness, all the other things are peripherals. Our desire for God is the one thing that in the end we know is essential. The things of God are exciting instead of a chore when you're really hungry. We want to hear the Word of God. We want to read it. We want to meditate. We want to be around God's people. We want to seek God's face in prayer. We're hungry. We're thirsty. It's continuous, not just for some of what God offers, but for all of it. A follower wants to be filled. When's the last time you long so strongly for God that a verse like Psalm 42 describes you as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When's the last time in your own heart you could say, yes, that describes me. Yes, God, I want you. I want a relationship with you so badly. It's like a thirsty animal. It's like a thirsty deer heading to the stream and needs something to drink. Does that describe your life this morning? Does that describe your life ever? When's the last time that you sought God in that way? If we're not hungry, we're not healthy. If we're not thirsty, there's something wrong. And if we're not hungry, we can't be happy. And we're enjoying about this much of the life that God has made available. Listen, when it comes to God, come hungry leave happy every single time. That's every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.